Hey, this is Jim, and you're listening to the podcast edition of the Jim Toth Show. Hear us live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Jim Tills Show. And if there ever was a song to bring in, reporter extraordinaire for Global News and with AM640, Matt Cardi, it's Welcome to the Jungle. Matthew, how are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you today? I'm doing extremely well, thank you. I didn't even plan that song for you. I just thought that's how, if you were on a D-Division basketball team as a third-string point guard, that's what you'd come out to. I'd be a four-string point guard. Let's be fair here. That's okay. That's uh, that's fair enough. Thank you for joining us today. I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Former 680 CJOB reporter, so you've lived in this city. But the, before we get to that and what you're sort of hearing out Toronto way about our fair city and our province, I want to get into this Rogers outage you put a package on and, and the scam that's come from it. So it didn't take long. I was wondering on Friday how long it would take for other uh, telecom companies to sort of start advertising that our network works and things like that to capitalize but it seems like the scamming community has trying to capitalize as well. I, I think it's a fair bet to say as soon as everybody got their service back, they probably got this text message. And basically it's, it's what you see from the usual phishing scams when you get a text message that says, hey, click on this link and you know all these good things will happen to you. But basically what this one is, is you get a, uh, a text message that appears to be from Rogers saying something like, our services have been severely disrupted. We promise compensation. Some of these text messages that I've seen even promise upwards of 50 to $90, which is great compared to what Rogers uh, has been reportedly promising, which is two days of prorated service. And basically, you click on this link, and uh, I didn't click on it, but one cybersecurity expert that I talked to said it'll probably take you to a website that looked identical to Rogers.com. And then it asks you to fill out all your banking information in order to complete the transaction to get your refund. But instead of getting money, uh, you'll find that all your money has gone. Yeah, that's uh, I, I mean, it didn't take long. Do they have any idea how or who is doing this? Well, that's the one thing I did ask the cybersecurity expert, and he said um, it's likely somebody not even in this country. It's easier to commit crimes outside of a country because then it's very hard to get uh, arrested for a crime that you're not even committing in the country where the victims are. Um, And these are full-time people with full-time jobs. It's not like somebody sitting in his mom's basement uh, committing these crimes. This is well-organized, and people do do this uh, on a full-time basis, but not really clear exactly who's doing it. but, uh, but yeah, the, the, these, these people are professional, given how realistic the fake website looks like Rogers.com. How successful has it been? Have you heard from some people who have been taken in by it? Well, I've not, but uh, we spoke to a couple of local police services out here in southern Ontario. So Toronto Police, obviously, Peel Regional Police, which is in the greater Toronto area, and also Waterloo Regional Police. They have uh, had this reported to them that they are getting this text message. The Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre says it's also received reports from people receiving the dubious text, but it's not really clear if anybody's actually falling for them. But this is exactly sort of the... The, the method of these scammers, because the cybersecurity expert that I talked to, it says, you know, you might think you can outsmart this, like it, but it's not based on IQ. For what happened on Friday, this is more or less 
preying on emotion. And in this case, it's frustration with Rogers. So your service comes back, you know, overnight Friday into Saturday, you wake up and you get this text immediately, which appears to be from Rogers. And you're frustrated with what you had to deal with the day before. And it's promising you money and you just click on it. Um, but that's the type of uh, type of attitude or the type of thing that these, these, these scammers prey on. But in terms of specific victims, haven't heard of any of that yet. What's, um, I guess, the being said by the authorities about it? Like, obviously, don't click on the link, but if you do, is there any way to sort of retract anything that you've already done now that people might be hearing this story? That's the thing, too, is that these scammers are really sophisticated and even have uh, police sometimes uh, having a hard time trying to track them down. Like I said, they're they're likely out of the country, so it makes it even harder for police to investigate these, and that's why they're sort of putting out these proactive messages that says, whatever you do, do not click on this link, do not give your banking information to, to any website, just, you know, no matter how legitimate it looks like. And they're also putting the message, of course, if you are a Rogers, Rogers customer that was affected by Friday's outage, you don't have to do anything. Rogers has already said that you will be compensated. It will be applied to your account. We don't know a whole lot of details about what how Rogers is going to roll that out. We just know that they kept saying that we are going to do the right thing. We are going to compensate you. You don't have to do anything. It'll just be applied to your account. So that's valuable information, too, that whatever they are going to do for you, they will apply it to your account. You don't have to literally or physically do anything. The other question I have, though, is is if this has been set in motion and somebody's listening to this and, and they say, you know what, I clicked on that yesterday or I clicked on it this morning. What do they recommend you do? Do you go to your bank right away? Do you do you contact Rogers? What What's some of the things that maybe it's too late for you right now, but you still want to, to, to cease and assist on, on what's going on with this scam? Well, if you clicked on it, you probably got taken to that web page that looks like rogers.com. The expert that I spoke to says, you know, sometimes with these phishing scams, you click on a link and all of a sudden your phone is full of viruses or malware or whatever it is. In this case, it's probably it's not what's going on. In this case, these scammers are just looking to make a few bucks. So if you went in there and you clicked on the link and you put in all your banking information and um you know, you hit submit and they have your banking information, probably the first call is definitely to your bank to sort of shut down your account. Most banks, uh, and this is another interesting part of the conversation I had that, you know, in in days past, you go to your bank and you said, okay, well, I I did this and now I've lost all my money. You go through the whole rigmarole and they might give you some money back. But now we're hearing that banks are actually pushing back and says, you know, too bad, like this is all on you. We can't do anything for you. But definitely the first phone call, if you filled out all your banking information, should be the bank. Definitely contact the local police service and also the Canadian Anti-Fraud Network just to let them know uh, of the fraud that you fell victim to. And I like the point that the police made that it's not an IQ thing. Um, and I think that's important. I know this when it happens, it's it's ultimately embarrassing to somebody if you are a victim to it. But I, I think we've all been there at one point or the other. Like, it, it it's not an IQ thing at all. It's literally just what your mindset is. And that's why another interesting point you touched on is just the fact that, you know, if you wake up and you're just super angry at your servers, so you do this to, to see what you can get as opposed to thinking logically, like, why would they text this? Or, or I've been told that they're doing this. It's not like, don't feel bad, although I know it's embarrassing that, that this has happened. This is what scammers pry on, pray on. For sure, it's for sure, it's it's embarrassing, and not just these scams. I mean, we've heard of scams where uh, you get a call from um, the Canadian Revenue Agency saying that you know there's but we're shutting your bank account down because you're not you haven't paid your taxes or whatever, and that's fear. They're they're preying on fear. 
Or there's another one where it's the border guards calling you up, say, uh, you know, a loved one of yours is being held at the border for, for carrying narcotics over the border and you need to send money. Again, that's that's something, you know, you worry about your loved one there, right? And so it's not about outsmarting these scams. They prey on emotion. They know how to sort of get under your skin, if you will. Uh, and in this case, it's frustration. Like you said, everybody woke up on Saturday morning, or most people who have Rogers woke up on Saturday morning um, and realized that, you know, their account was back online. Some may even have received this text message that appeared to be from Rogers. And, you know, through the frustration, and it says, you know, you'll get 50 bucks, you'll get 90 bucks. Of course, I'm going to click on this. You know, I, know I just went through all this and now I'm getting this text from Rogers. Of course, I want my money. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 not about outsmarting the scams. It's about sort of keeping your, I guess, your emotions in check. And, you know, as always, too, if you see something and, you know, it looks a little hairy, be sure to ask somebody, even if you have to, like, reach out to Rogers themselves and say, hey, I got this text message. Is this legit? Reach out to a friend, a loved one. Uh, even, even you know, call the non-emergency line to police and say, hey, I got this text. Do you know if this is legit or not, right? Just to make sure, because, uh, you know, you'd rather be safe than sorry. Great stuff, uh, Matt. I did want to ask you, as a former resident here now working in the Toronto area, we've been focusing a lot on crime and the rise of violent crime and the stabbings at the Forks. What are you hearing out there? Do you hear anything, people talking about Winnipeg? Is this a concern that, you know, somebody I know Toronto only focuses on themselves? I'm kidding. But but I, I, I'm wondering, like, is it is it talked about out there? What What's in the news headlines here? Um, I would say that Toronto's got a lot of its own problems going on right now. Like, we have uh, a spike in, in, in carjackings. We have a spike in youth crime. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that Winnipeg is getting the national headlines just yet. Um, obviously, we did hear some things uh, over, uh, I can't remember where it was, but it, it did have something to do with the forks, just, just candidly. Um, but uh, no, I think, uh, I think Winnipeg's reputation is still in check. And also, as you mentioned, Toronto, other cities we're hearing are experiencing some of the same rise in violent crimes um, as where we are at this point um, in society and with the past two and a half years in the pandemic and everything. Great stuff, Matt. Really yeah. good. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna. No, I was just gonna say. Yeah, I think it's it, this is a nationwide thing where we're seeing uh, violent crime uh, go up for whatever reason. Following the post pandemic, we've had some really atrocious stories come out of Toronto, um, and it, it'll be interesting to see sort of what the crime a, uh, analysts say about why this is happening. But obviously, they need a little more data to collect, given that we're sort of just inching out of the pandemic or maybe going back into it. Depends on what the health experts say. Great stuff, Matt. Appreciate it. Good talking to you again. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Matt Carty, reporter, Global News, former 680 CJOB, now with AM640. I did want to run this clip from Scott Newman earlier today on the start with uh, McNabb and Macklin talking about fixing societal problems to stop crime. It's so easy to try and paint this as an us versus them situation to say criminals are the other, right? That's not how it works in in a society where we're all dependent on one another and we all work together. Uh, We all have to work together and, you know, there but for the grace of God, the why. How many people have I seen come into my office that have some problem in their life, somebody gets sick, they get sick, they get mentally ill, they fall into an addiction, and their life crumbles, And that could happen to any one of us. And so we have to do our part living in a society to help those people who are are going in the wrong direction. 
because the vast majority of people are in a situation not of their own making where they make bad choices arising out of that. And that's why you see poverty and addiction being the two big uh, drivers of, of, uh, of criminality. And we welcome in, that's Scott Newman again, defense attorney from earlier today here on 680 CJOB's The Start this morning. Now we welcome in, and thank you for waiting, Marion Willis from St. Boniface Street, Street Links. How are you, Marion? I'm well, thank you. We're swamped, but uh, we're well. Well, you know what? Let's start there. How swamped are you? And, and what have you been seeing the past six months, past year, maybe compared to five years ago? Uh, well, I could even go back further to the beginning of where all of this starts. I think there's some value to being old enough to be one of the living historians of uh, sort of seeing the social deficit as it's developed over the last pretty much 30 years. But uh, I will say uh, that our teams are kept pretty busy. We, uh, we are finding that uh, linking people out there to services, uh, to housing, wrapping services around them, um, developing really good plans and building in the mental health services when we can't access them elsewhere is actually producing some very good outcomes for us. Uh, busy, we're seeing a real migration of people from the west side of the river all kind of moving over into St. Boniface now. And it is because our approach is really quite different. So I think we're really kind of on to something in terms of, uh, you know, working to uh, meet the needs of people in meaningful ways. Uh, but I have to tell you, it's um, it's uh, we're a small team, and it's uh, it, it's quite a task at this point to uh, to try to uh, keep a hold of it all. Yeah, I imagine it's such a daunting task too, Marion. Uh, that clip I played at the start of our segment with Scott Newman. Do you agree with that on fixing societal problems and and how homelessness, poverty, uh, addiction do le- does lead to crime, and maybe why we're seeing a, a higher crime rate? Well, absolutely. You know, for a few years, back when Chief Uwaski was the chief of police, uh, there was a really, really heavy focus on crime prevention through social development. And crime prevention through social development continues to be the evidence-based best practice to address social issues. And that needs to get to the root cause of all that plagues, you know, in this instance, this city and this province. And as a first step in all of this, and this is where we're really stuck, and that's why I say this is built over 30, about 28 years exactly. Uh, you know, as a first step, governments have got to break free of the silos, okay, uh, that have been created that have all government departments operate in isolation of each other. Like justice, including youth and adult probations, child and family services, education, employment training, housing, health, mental health and addictions. Uh, income supports, all those government departments at the highest level of government, at a, you know, at a ministerial level, have got to understand the interrelatedness of the challenges that we face and the interdependence of all those government departments to engage, to engage in cross-department planning. And what you end up with then is a multi-systemic strategy that can be reflected in a multi-systemic budget. You know, community organizations like the NGOs, like ours, for example, and all the others, the ones out there, you know, there's to be some way of sort of, you can't fund the whole NGO sector, it's becoming an, an absolute industry, but 
you know, NGOs that are producing very specific outcomes need to be core funded to hire the real capacity, the professionals to support their lived experience teams. And that would add additional capacity to uh, where law enforcement sort of needs it at a community level. Multi-systemic across government departments creates multidisciplinary at the service delivery level. And it is only when these understandings are embraced that we will see our city and province move from a position of constant reaction to one of prevention. And it's exactly there that the seeds of change must be sown. As it currently stands, we have a very scattered and fragmented landscape of social services. And if you think about uh, hanging on to a cluster of helium balloons and just letting them go, you know, those balloons just head up into space somewhere. And each one of those balloons represents a service to people. But there's no... There isn't that one string that kind of holds them all together. So there's very little access point for people. There's absolutely no coordination. Uh, Sal Burroughs has got it right. You know, he says that this city needs a very comprehensive city and this province needs a very comprehensive strategy. And we just can't seem to get there. You know, as much as government, you know, is holding engaged sessions and they really are working hard to engage Manitobans, the piece they're missing is they need to engage across the top of their own departments, you know, and then collectively have justice and, and mental health and addictions and all those departments I mentioned, have them actually working together you know, uh, in a more unified way so Mary, uh, to engage Manitobans. So We're lost without that. So I, 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 this is fascinating to me because we've had Mayor Bowman on in, a, in the past week who talks about that, the need for programs and mental health. Um, we're hearing you say it. Um, you know, Chief Danny Smythe said that this isn't a new problem. This is kind of normal. There's only been a 5% overall increase. So if everybody's sort of in on this infrastructure and saying you said it's at the top, then then how do we do that? Then what what in your mind gets that done? If these so many departments of government are trying to do this, what is the obstacle at the top to get it done? Well, you know, I'm not so sure. I guess, you know, it depends on the philosophy of the governing party of the day. You know, the NDP are a much more socialist government, you know, that are, yeah, it was actually the NDP government that created the nonprofit sector as a service delivery arm of government. You have a, a PC government right now that has an entirely different approach and sort of believes in trickle down economics. Well, that doesn't work and hasn't worked for a few decades. You know, um, we have uh, many, many, we face many, many challenges and very different kind of, kinds of challenges than we ever have. And certainly the corporate world and philanthropy can't be expected to fund them. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that political parties, for example, need to rethink uh, a little bit their own agendas and their own philosophies. And um, it's kind of like we're... We're, 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 you know, we constantly move forward with very many new challenges, but we're stuck with some really old ideologies in terms of how we address things. Uh, right now, what I've seen, what I've seen since uh, we launched St. Boniface Street Links is it's not that there isn't enough money out there. There's money, but it is actually being, it's how money is allocated. And it's like there's special interest groups and organizations with their own agendas. And, uh, and so you do end up with, you know, pockets of money into mental health and, you know, changes in child welfare reform and, you know, pockets of money into, 
you know, just projects with, you know, from justice and so on. But nothing is linked together to a plan. And so if you don't have a plan, then there's nothing that you can coordinate. And there isn't even really any way to measure success. I feel really, sorry. No, no, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Well, I just feel sorry for Winnipeg Police Service and also for Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Services because I think they're expected, and unrealistically so, you know, to be those that can solve all these challenges, and they can't. You know, I see them, you know, um, bending over backwards, sometimes being social workers. You know, I was listening to, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, something on the police yesterday talking about their enhanced uh, you know, first aid, they're almost, in some in- instances, acting like paramedics. They're trying to do the best they can, but it's like they don't have the tools. It's like building a house. You haven't, made, but you, but you don't have, you don't have the material and the tools to build the house. I share, I share uh, your thoughts on this. I share your thoughts on this because once we get past the who's pointing a finger at who, and I think that's gone on a little bit too much over the past two weeks. Um, once we get past that, it seems like everybody wants to do this. It just, I can't figure out why it's not getting done. And in my mind, this, so, but the question I want to leave you with, Marion, is if you were to spend this money now, if you were sort of, you said there's money there, which is great news, but it's just not being allocated properly. If they were to spend it and allocate it po- properly, do you believe it would help offset some of the expense that we are seeing now with crime and what, what that costs us when it goes up and lack of you know help for those people? Or, or I'll even go as far as sort of um, recovery and everything else. Like if, if we could figure out this allocation right now, wouldn't that offset a lot of the expense going forward around crime that we're seeing? Not if you don't have a plan. Okay. You know, the city and the province needs a well-developed strategic plan that encompasses issues around justice and poverty and, you know, housing and addiction and mental health and all of these things. And that plan, the strategic plan, needs to recognize that all of these issues are all kind of interrelated. And then that plan, you know, has to be one that, you know, really does some asset mapping and looks at, you know, what organizations are out there that deliver particular services and which organizations actually can produce, you know, have the capacity to produce those outcomes. And I think there actually needs to be an independent body. Uh, Don't ask Marion Willis and don't ask any other organization who might have their own agendas, you know, because they're running organizations. We need an independent body that can actually spend some time working with government, uh, the city, the provincial government, the NGO sector, and we need to do some asset mapping and look at what's out there and then look at what the need is and then how do we pull this all together actually, you know, to produce the kinds of outcomes that we need because it's often not not about there isn't enough money. It's just that, uh, the money is being spent to support this very scattered and fragmented, broken landscape of services with no coordination and no uh, real uh, point of access. So, uh, you know, I think that that's the place to start. There is no quick fix. It isn't just about, you know, reassigning money. It's about we need a strategic plan. And I don't think that we should be relying on the usual sort of folks to develop that strategic plan. I think there needs to be an independent, objective uh, body of professionals that work with the city to develop that plan. Fascinating conversation, Marion. I'm, I'm really thankful for your time and your insight today. And I'm, I'm sure that this will spark even more conversation. And hopefully, um, maybe this plan that you are referring to. Thank you for doing this, Marion.
Yeah, you're so welcome. This will be very apropos if you lose a ton of players in free agency tomorrow. Maybe Calgary, Colorado, and Nazim. I won't forget you. Little poison. <laughs> you never know. You'll be playing this somewhere, somehow. Ken Weeb of Sportsnet.ca and our 680 CJB hockey coverage joins us now. Weber, how are you today? How Jimmy, is... I'm, uh, ha- I'm happy to open up and say off for you just now. There yes. we go. Great album. Great album, by the way. Um, how excited are you? I know it's work and I know we're all in this, but I mean, it, there is going to be a, just like the draft, a ton of news, I think, happening. And I thought the draft was short of all the news we thought it would be, but it was still exciting. How excited are you and how exciting do you think free agency will be? Yeah, certainly uh, lots of potential for activity. Uh, there's no doubt about that. It's been a really fun five or six week uh, program here, Jimmy, from the Western Conference Final, the Stanley Cup Final to the draft, and now kind of the uh, apex or pinnacle being the, I guess the pinnacle would be the Stanley Cup, but free agency uh, right around the corner. It's an exciting time for a lot of teams. And here's the other part. I mean, after the trophy gets handed out, there's 31 other teams saying, hey, guess what? We've got to get better. <laughs> and I would even say in this case with the, you know, it was nine unrestricted free agents. Now it's eight with Valerie Nichushkin coming off the board. Um the Colorado Avalanche are thinking the same thing. Even though they just won the trophy, they think they need to get better also. So the Jets are certainly in that group of teams that needs to improve the personnel, uh, whether that's via trade or via free agency. I think it's an exciting time for them. I think it's been a little bit quiet, but that doesn't mean things aren't happening, Jim. I think what I would say is that a lot of groundwork gets laid uh, at the draft itself. And I would think some of those deals could potentially be coming to fruition, depending on who comes off the board early tomorrow I think you could see the teams pivot to the trade market uh, pretty quickly, or they might even be active in the trade market before they get into free agency. And, you know, part of the reason for the Jets, so they don't have a ton of, you know, they go to cap friendly and it says there's 18 million to spare, but people need to remember that's only including 13 players on a 23 man roster. So that money goes pretty quickly when you consider Pierre-Luc Dubois probably north of seven and, in order to make any other moves, there would have to be a deal involving Blake Wheeler probably and his $8.25 million, uh, going out in order to make a big splash. So Ken has his piece out. It's up at sportsnet.ca on uh, looking at free agency. But also, uh, I want to get into that specifically you with you with the Jets. So we'll start with Blake Wheeler. I know you had Elliot Friedman on the Kenny and Rennie podcast yesterday. Um, what has the interest been? I guess the the key point to this is is there has been interest, and I'm and, and I think there. Well, I'm sure there will be more after some of the bigger chips fall. But where is the situation with Blake Wheeler going into free agency and then after it? Yeah, just I would say it hasn't reached the point of a return, but it seems like both sides are comfortable moving on from one another if the right situation presents itself. Uh, I don't think it means Blake is ready to accept the first deal that's out there, nor is Kevin Sheveldayoff going to accept the first offer presented to him. Uh, what I would say, there's probably been interest, but here's the thing, Jim, that we know. Uh, until there's a deadline, teams don't make their best offer. So I don't think the Jets have had their best offer for Blake Wheeler so far. I mean, this is still a guy who was a point-of-game player last year. Uh, you can say whatever you want about what the number is on the birth certificate. This has been a highly productive player for a long time. So uh, even if they think they need to change the leadership or the culture, however way you want to describe it, um, you know, Kevin Chevalier has shown to be a patient individual. He's not just going to you know, make a panic sale in this situation. But having said that, I think if they're looking to do other things, uh, then they're going to have to, you know, 
set their sights on maybe, I'm not saying lower the asking price, but if you want to do some other things in free agency, you're going to have to move the money or else, you know, yeah, sure, you can go 10% over in the summertime, but uh, in order to really make personnel changes, you're going to have to clear out a little bit more money. Uh, otherwise, your your list of things to do is going to outweigh the money allocated to get those things done, right? I mean, we can't forget that, you know, Eric Comrie, he could still come back. There's a, you know, I would say better than average chance of that. But, I mean, if you've waited this long and you're the agent for Eric Comrie, you, you are basically owe it to your client to listen to what else is out there. And uh, if some other team offers maybe three years and maybe 1.5 or two, well, now you're either going to have to raise your offer or look for an alternative. So I think it's an interesting time. I think the Jets, we know they have to do two things, Jim. They need to upgrade the forward personnel and they need to, you know, alleviate the log jam on defense, especially on the left side. And, you know, which one is the chicken and which one is the egg in this scenario? That That's what we're all waiting to see. We're waiting for that first shoe to drop to see what, what, which part of the equation happens first in order to get to the other part of the equation. So let's do this, Ken, because I, I, I got to the point today where I get the Dubois situation, I get the Wheeler situation, I understand that Brendan Dillon is a big ask for from other teams. What else are the Jets looking at? Like, in my mind, it's totally about augmenting that bottom six. And and when I looked at it last night intently, and, and I did a, a couple of weeks ago, but I, I really poured into it last night, there are just as many you know, high-end caliber third-line forwards out there as there is high-end talent this year, the Jets could really change that bottom part of their forward lineup. Yeah, they really could. And, you know, I, I didn't have him in my story, uh, but Mason Marchman, to me, is a guy that makes so much sense. I mean, he had his breakout game against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, he basically has a lot of the qualities that they don't have an abundance of. He's a six foot four, 220-pound banging winger that can score. I mean... Uh, you know, from reading some of the reports online, it sounds like he wants, you know, he's going to probably want somewhere in that $4 million range. But man, oh man, could you imagine Mason Margent rolling on a line with, you know, whether it's Mason Appleton and Adam Lowry or however way you distribute the forwards, if you go to more of a traditional top nine role, uh, that, that's the guy that could really help them. I mean, Matthias Janmark, I mean, this guy is maybe not as physical, but really good penalty killer. I mean, uh, the guy I mentioned at the top of my list, I mean, it's, you know, probably a pipe dream for the Jets, but Andre Pallott, like everything that the Jets are looking for, 31-year-old winger that can play both sides. He can basically help every line that he plays on. But again, you gotta, it's, he makes over $5 million. So it's going to be north of six, and he probably wants seven if there's a bidding war. So, uh, and he'd be a perfect complement to either Nikolai Ehlers or Kyle Connor. I mean, but at the same time, they're going to have to decide what they're doing up front before we get to that point. So... I'm not saying, I mean, there's lots of players. The Jets aren't going to be completely left behind. And as you mentioned, I mean, with a lot of the guys not getting qualifying offers yesterday, the the pool is even larger. But what does that mean? Does that mean there's going to be more overpayments? Or does that mean there's less money to be spent, Jim? Because let's not forget, a, a lot of these players were productive players, but the teams that had their services weren't willing to either double their salary or pay them what they thought an arbitrator might consider them to be worth. So... I think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg going on with that too. I mean, which teams are going to be cap ceiling teams? Which teams are going to be closer to the floor? You have teams that have to get to the floor. Uh, All of it should make for a very interesting game of musical chairs, but all of a sudden you're going to look up and maybe there's not as many chairs open as you thought there were. So does that benefit the team or, you know, do you benefit from being patient or do you have to get out in front of it or risk being left behind? I mean, that's always the thing about free agency. There are early panic buys and overpays, but, I mean, you also don't want to be left with the scrap heap, if you will, right? I mean, that, that's the that 
that's what we're really looking at here, whether it's the Jets or any other team that's trying to upgrade. Yeah, I agree with you. And and that's why I think it's one of the more exciting off seasons, just because of the depth that's there in those kind of role players. But also, if you don't get it done, like usually if you don't get it done in the first week, then you're sort of looking at what's left and trying to find a fair deal that's going to help you, but also for the player. I, I think that maybe after this first week, there's going to be a lot of really good, smart business being done just because guys will need jobs. And there's a lot of them out there like the. The idea that the Jets can attract free agents, I'm totally still in on. The idea that there's going to be none left in a week, I'm I'm not in on this year. I think that there'll be some really good quality players that will take some really good deals to come to Winnipeg. For sure, and I would too. Like guys that I didn't have on my list, but you know, guys we've thought about before, Cali Yarncroak. I mean, Vladislav Nemesnikov. He's a guy that had been on the Jets' radar previously. Uh, I'm interested to see where those guys go and at what number. And Noel Achari, you know, former Bruin. I mean, he's a guy that the Jets would have looked at at 1.2 down the road when they're looking to add, you know, get penalty-killing guy who plays with some edge. So uh, I'm with you. I mean, I think that the the alternative to not having a job, I mean, Winnipeg would be a place where I think people understand there's going to be a role to be played uh, and an opportunity there with a team that's in transition. When you, you know you have a guy that maybe has played with for Rick Bonus before. I mean, I mentioned Jason Dickinson in my column about maybe a potential trade target. I mean, it didn't go well for him in Vancouver. He was you know lost three minutes a game of ice time. But this is a guy who's played in the Central Division, played in some important playoff games that 2019 year with the you know with the Dallas Stars. He was there when they were, made their run to the final. I mean, a, a good two-way player. He's not going to give you a ton of offense, but I mean, what do we hear Rick Bonus say? They want to be harder to play against. Well, how about a guy who's six foot four and can three, six foot three can skate and is a physical player? I mean, he's going to have some appeal uh, on the trade market. And you know, Jim Rutherford's looking to clear out some cap space, right? I mean, uh, you know, we're not just talking about one million dollar bargain bargain hunting happening here, but uh, I think there's a fascinating time. And as you mentioned, I mean. The Jets need to change the complexion of the bottom six if they continue to roll with a you know historical top six bottom six idea. Um, there's opportunity here, and you know with the new head coach, that is going to be there's going to be some appeal uh, for some players on the market that that maybe thought they might end up somewhere else. But uh, I, I do think the Jets are going to have to be active. We know David Gustafson's a guy who's probably knocking on the door and needs to be playing, but. Um, other than that, I, I think on the wings, they're going to be looking to upgrade. I mean, a lot of people up in arms of what Evgeny Svechnikov. I mean, as I said on the show yesterday, the door is not closed for a potential return, but this just means he has a chance to snip around and see what else is out there. Uh, I could still see the two sides circling back, depending on whether offers are happening. I mean, does his status get bolstered as a UFA, you know, compared to what some of the other guys are out there? I, I don't know, but uh, I know it was a fit last year. And I mean, yes, there were some times where it was inconsistent, but he had a stretch of hockey that was very good. So it was like found money for the Jets. So the other part too, Jansen Harkins, he's a guy that might flourish under Rick Bonus, right? Opportunity hadn't really been there as often consistently under Paul Maurice and later under Dave Lowry, but maybe Rick Bonus views him differently. Maybe he sees him as a guy he'd love to ride shotgun with Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton himself, if that's not Morgan Barron, right? So uh, the, the, the Jets are in an interesting phase in terms of their transition here with the new head coach and, I know a lot of people are up in arms because it seems like status quo. I just don't see the Jets running back the same roster, Jim. I really don't. I think we're going to see a foundational piece moved out. And I think there's going to be some tinkering, as you mentioned, with that bottom six because the Jets need to improve. Like the gold standard resides in their division. So if you want to be rolling with the gold standard and not just be a wildcard team and nothing against wildcard teams, but it's a tough division to get out of, right? Because you're going to, the road goes through Colorado. So you're going to have to get better. 
Well, as Daryl Sutter said, you don't want to waste those eight days if you get in. So, um, and he was right, by the way. Uh, yeah, I think it's fascinating. We're waiting for all the dominoes to fall. I'm just reading in the break here before we brought you on that Philadelphia is having a hard time because teams won't accept their what they're offering to to move Van Riemsdyk. That could play into right. drought. Like, there's just so many things going on, and it's less than. Uh, 24 hours away, so we look forward to it. Sportsnet.ca is where you read Ken's piece on uh, his in-depth thoughts on free agency and the Jets, and of course, uh, we'll keep it uh, up to date on everything that transpires as we go forward as well. Always the best, Ken. Thanks. Appreciate it, and uh, enjoy it. It should be fun. Pleasure to be with you. What's your prediction on Goudreau? Staying or going? I think at this point he's going. Like they've offered him so much money. I, I read today from Cervelli that they offered him even more than what he was doing, and other teams just can't do that at seven years. So I, yeah. I just think he's going. We talked about this, Ken. Maybe we have about a minute here at the most, but sure. we yeah, got yeah. into this at Jets at noon, and and I said like, what Dubois is doing, it, it could be that he doesn't want to be here. I'm not, you know, eliminating that. But he's doing what more and more athletes are doing, and I, I liken it to Goudreau. If Goudreau goes somewhere, it's not just about the money, and it's not just about winning. If he goes to Philadelphia, it's just as much about where he wants to play, closeness to family, and who wants the area that he wants to do it in. Because if he wants to win, Philadelphia is three or four years away from where Calgary is right now. If it was yeah. about the money, nobody can offer him more money than Calgary is. It's the, the Austin Matthews hasn't signed a day of free agency away. Pierre-Luc Dubois, if we see this from Goudreau, more and more of these athletes that know they're going to get paid are going to have other factors besides money and winning way into where they want to play. Yeah, and lots of buzz around Montreal, obviously, you know, whispers, right? And not, not directly from the camp, not from Dubois himself, but lots of whispers that, you know, he's a French-Canadian guy who apparently would, you know, like to play for the Canadians at some point. I mean, that doesn't mean it's today. It doesn't mean that it's in a year from now or it doesn't mean that it's in two years from now, but uh, it's something that's appealing to him. And, and that would be something that it's interesting because you, you, you get cautious and nervous about a guy with maybe one foot out the door, but that's not necessarily the way it is either. It just is something that, you know, at some point he would like to play for the Montreal Canadians. I think that's a fair thing to say. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be happening next season or next season. So that, that's Corey, what we'll Corey Perry, if, Corey Perry, two years ago, if I'm going to play for right. the league minimum or take, if I'm going to play for a mill, I'm going to do it for the team that I always wanted to play for. And now he's moved on to that too, but it's just those things play in more than like the days of guys taking pay cuts to go to Detroit to try and win. I think, you know, aren't over, but they're not as prevalent. Agreed totally, and that, that's what makes it part of the fascinating part of the process to monitor and unfold. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, and have a great day, my friend. Ken Weeb, sportsnet.ca, and our 680 CJOB hockey coverage.